0: Last Sunday we started our Lenten series on 13 stories from the Gospel of John of Jesus' amazing love. We saw his love in the little things in the wedding at Cana, turning the water into wine. And, and we saw his love in the big things in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And today we're going to look at two more stories of the ways that Jesus loves us. You might be tempted to say something like, well, we sure are lucky to have a Savior who loves us so much. But actually, it's not luck at all, is it? It's Jesus. It's no accident. It's who he is. So let's see how this plays out in the story of the healing at the Pool of Bethesda in chapter 5 of John. Now, before we can understand how much Jesus loves us in this situation, we need a little background on what the people were taught by the biblical scholars of the day. Now, remember, in this time, they had only the Old Testament, what they would call the Law and the Prophets. The Law are the first five books. Now, there's a lot more in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus than Laws, but But the Jews took these laws very seriously. And why not? Because God says in Leviticus 26, If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send rain in its season. The ground will yield its crops and the trees their fruit. I will grant peace to the land and you will lie down and no one will make you afraid. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. And so the people went to great lengths to follow the biblical laws. And some were afraid of what might happen if they broke one. Especially since some of the laws came with dire warnings. Like the law, the commandment to do no work on the Sabbath. Listen to what Moses tells the people in Exodus chapter 35. He says, repeating the Ten Commandments, for six days work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day, a day of Sabbath rest to the Lord. But then he adds, whoever does any work on it is to be put to death. Now that's serious. You could be killed for doing work on the Sabbath. But then the obvious question is, Well, what counts as work? If people could kill you for working on the Sabbath, you better figure out what counts as work. And so the ancient teachers of the law discerned that there were 39 different categories of things that counted as work, such things as harvesting crops or cooking food or carrying anything or traveling But then, in addition to these 39 categories, they went a step further. Just to be careful, they also forbid anything that might look like or could be interpreted as doing one of those areas of work, or something that might accidentally lead you to do work. For example, you were forbidden from climbing trees on the Sabbath day because in doing so, you might accidentally break off a branch or a leaf and that would look like harvesting. And so that was out. And I I know this sounds odd, but but if you are living by the law, if you think that keeping the law is the most important thing you can do for God and you know that if breaking one of the religious laws could kill you, you're going to be pretty uptight about it. And so that's the background for what Jesus does one Sabbath day at the Pool of Bethesda. John chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for so long a time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. And the day in which this took place was the Sabbath. Now why is it important for John to note that it was a Sabbath day? Because Jesus has just healed this man and told him to pick up his mat and carry it away. And carrying on the Sabbath is breaking the law. And so is healing for that matter. Ask any nurse or or doctor or paramedic. And there was no exceptions in those days. No work is no work. Didn't matter what it was. There's no exception for caring for a sick or injured person. No work, period. Verse 10, And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. So Jesus gets in double trouble here. First, he he tells the man to pick up his mat and walk, and carrying the mat was against the law. And, of course, Jesus breaks the law himself by healing the man. And notice that these religious leaders who were, were supposed to be setting an example, living godly lives, they don't seem to care whatsoever that this man has been healed by a great miracle. All that matters to them is that a law was broken. And so they tell him, who told you you could do that? It's almost like they're saying, now you put that mat back down and you go lie there until this day is over because it's the Sabbath. Who told you to carry that mat? How dare he? Verse 14. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Jesus is showing here that he's not saying that anything goes or that rules don't matter. There is still sin, but he also shows that what matters most is loving our neighbor. While the Jewish leaders took the Bible rules and then piled more rules and more rules on top of them. Jesus went the opposite way. He took those hundreds of biblical laws and he boiled them down to two. You remember what they are? It's in Matthew 22. One of them, an expert of the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, that's their word for Bible, all the Bible hangs on these two commandments. So back to chapter 5. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Healing on the Sabbath could get you killed. And they eventually did kill Jesus, didn't they? But Jesus risked his life because of his compassion and his love for that hurting man who'd been lying there for 38 years. Sure, he could have waited a day and come back after the Sabbath in order to heal him. But love wouldn't let this man suffer one more day. Even though it was the Sabbath, Jesus healed him. And does Jesus want our healing that bad? Does Jesus want to rescue us so much that he would risk his own life? Well, the healing of the man on the Sabbath in John chapter 5 says yes. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. In John chapter 5, and the healing at Bethesda. And it makes me wonder how well I love like Jesus. Am I willing to risk because I care for my neighbor? Am I willing to break some of the rules for their sake? I'm afraid it depends on the day. On my better days, perhaps I am. I can remember in my student days, training as a hospital chaplain. And they were very clear that you were not, that we were not to share our faith with the patients. Our job was to listen and to be a comforting presence. Proselytizing could get you fired. And then I met Jamil. He was about 18 years old, and he had a serious cancer, and he was Stuck in a hospital bed for a long time. And often I would go and visit him. And we talked about the things that a young man thinks about sports, girls, food. But then one day he said to me, What do you think happens when we die? I was trained to reply, Tell me what you think. But he insisted. And so I broke the rules and I shared the gospel with him. Now, did I mention that he wasn't from a Christian family? And I don't know if he ever told his mom about his faith in Jesus. But it was only a short while after that that I got the call that Jamil had died. I rushed over to the hospital to find his mother staring at his lifeless body. I told her I was sorry. And that if she wanted to talk, I was there for her. No, she said. Very matter-of-factly, he's dead. That's that. It's okay to cry, I said. No, it isn't, she replied. It's not right to cry when someone dies. That shows that you're questioning God's judgment. We simply accept whatever God wills, no tears. I broke her rules. I cried anyways. That's what love does. In my encounter with Jamil and his family, I only risked my job, but Jesus risked his life breaking laws to love and heal. And I hope I can be more and more like him more and more often. How about you? Well, now the chapter six. After all this time, Jesus finally does one of those big, splashy miracles we expected him to start with. It's the story of the feeding of the five thousand. A huge crowd has followed Jesus all the way over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee because they saw him. Healing people like the man at the pool of Bethesda. Verse 1 Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Now what would come to your mind if you left here today and you decided to drive out in the country for a little peace and quiet? And then you got out there and saw that you had been followed by 5,000 people. (laughs) 5,000 people who didn't stop for lunch. And in fact, because of where you are, had no way to get lunch. And they are now hungry. What would you have thought? My thought would be, what's wrong with these people? Why didn't they bring some food? Was no one smart enough to pack a lunch except maybe this little kid here? who appears to have a bag of something? And that's what I would think. But what would love think? What would Jesus think? Jesus sees hungry people, and he says, I better feed them. Verse 6. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated As much as they wanted, he did the same with the fish. He gave them all the food they wanted. Not just a a little bowl of soup. It's not Jesus' soup kitchen. He didn't give them a little cheese sandwich. He filled them up and then some. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Twelve baskets of leftovers from five little loaves knowing that they were hungry, Jesus' love compels them to feed them with the help of a little boy's lunch. And I've always been intrigued by why Jesus chose to use this kid's lunch. Because if he can turn water into wine, if he can heal a man with just a word, he certainly could have fed the crowd on his own. And yet, He chose to let this boy help him do this great miracle. Gave this child a part in this marvelous feeding of the crowd. And can you imagine in the years to come what this boy said about this? Especially when he got to be a great grandfather. Oh, kids, let me tell you about the day that Jesus and I fed 5,000 people. I was no bigger than you are when I gave my lunch to Jesus, and you should have seen it, bread and fish everywhere. We fed them all, and there were leftovers too. Jesus wants people to be fed, but he also wants to give us the privilege of feeding people, like he did with this boy. On Wednesday, we we're going to get one opportunity to join Jesus in feeding hungry people. We signed up for some spots at the Feed My Starving Children facility in Egan. And today, Feed My Starving Children volunteers give their time and money to pack a rice based meal designed to feed hungry children. It is, uh, I, I say, it kind of looks like rice aroni because it's. Uh, It's rice, and it's got added protein and and all the vitamins that a malnourished child needs to thrive. Last year, almost half a billion meals were sent to countries all over the world to feed hungry kids. Some of these kids were hungry because of war. Some of them were hungry because of natural disasters. Some because of mismanagement in their country's government. And some because of systemic poverty that goes back generations. But whatever the reason for their hunger, whatever their religion or government system, feed my starving children sends food. And it all starts with and it all started with one person and Jesus. Just like it started with one boy and Jesus. I don't know if you know the story. I wrote about it in this week's letter. In the early eighties, a man From Minnesota, Richard Proudfoot went on a mission trip. And when he came back, he heard the Lord speak to him, saying, if you've seen my starving children, feed them. Just like Jesus says to his disciples, how are we going to feed these people? He said, if you've seen my starving children, feed them. And so he set about developing a meal that would contain all the nutrients needed by hungry children. And these meals were originally called fortified rice soy casserole. (laughs) Doesn't that sound just what a child would like? Mmm. Today they call them manna packs, after the manna from heaven that God used to feed his people day by day in the wilderness. Volunteers We'll fill plastic bags uh, with this rice mix. And the, the reason they use plastic bags goes way back to the beginning because they could have packed it in boxes and other things like rice aroni, but uh, they packed it in plastic bags because uh, Green Giant gave them uh, a million bags from a discontinued uh, Green Giant product, and they started using it. And it seemed like an immense number. But now, Feed My Starving Children volunteers pack millions every week. From the beginning, the work was done by volunteers because not only was that cheaper than buying machinery, but because it gave millions of people the privilege of feeding the multitudes. In fact, uh, they'll usually tell you at the end of the packing session, How many meals you've packed? And every time I've been there, it's been well beyond 5,000. The little boy, he got to help feed 5,000. Well, we can help feed more than that. Maybe that's something you want to do on Wednesday night. Jesus is still feeding the multitudes, and he is still offering us opportunities to partner with him in doing that. Jesus' love is amazing. Does he want us to be fed? You bet he does. He <laughs> even taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Does he want to give us the privilege of helping feed the hungry? Well, yes to that too. The feeding of the 5,000 <clears> is just another way that Jesus shows his love for us. For me and you. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. In John chapter 6, and the feeding of the 5,000. We are only just four stories in <clears throat> to our Lenten series, but already, how amazing is his love? It's hard to believe. And can it be? Let's pray. Jesus, these stories remind us not only of what you did once upon a time, but about what you continue to do for us. Your love continues to to drive you to the sick and to the hurting. Your love drives you to do whatever it takes. To help us. And even when we are are foolish and forget a lunch, you don't say, Well, you should have been better prepared. You say, How are we going to feed these people? And then you also give us the opportunity to help in that, to partner with you in ministry and miracles. Lord, we, we are so privileged, so blessed. We are so loved by you. We know it's not luck at all. It's who you are. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. In all always, amen.